0: love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, friend, there's no telling what you're gonna do. I can take you to people that said, I'll never shout like a Pentecostal. I'll never scream like y'all scream. And I can remember the services when the Holy Ghost snuck up on them. And they began to scream like a wild banshee and shout because you don't know what you'll do until the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you, amen? Hey, I'm just glad it found me. When I couldn't find myself, God never gave up on me. Amen, amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord on this Wednesday evening. I'm gonna teach a little while tonight, if that's okay. I, several weeks ago, got to preaching, and I don't remember how many weeks ago, but, I touched on money, and then after the service, I began to think, when's the last time I taught about money? And I keep a a log of every sermon I've preached since I've been here, and it's been nearly two years since I talked about money, so we're going to talk about money tonight, amen? Amen. Go into the book of Malachi, chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. I encourage you to be here this Sunday. We're going to start revival with the Dale Welch. I know you'll be blessed of the Lord. After service, we'll have a, a meal. This will be to help raise funds for our dorm. Thank you. Last time we had a meal for our dorm, I believe we raised somewhere around thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars for the dorm. So thank you for your contribution. And remember, it's not about the meal. It's about the mission. And we've got a variety. You could have nachos or you could have gumbo. So you ought to like one of the two. But we're, we're going to have a great time this weekend. Amen. Bible says, Will a man rob God, yet ye have robbed me? But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? And then the Lord answers, In tithes and, somebody say and, Amen. Offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. It's the only time the Lord said, prove me. Prove me now therewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. He shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Lord bless you, you may be seated. There are more than 500 verses in the Bible concerning prayer. And there's nearly 500 verses in the Bible concerning faith. But there are more than 2,000 verses on the subject of money and possessions, which tells me that it's pretty important to God if it is the most talked about subject in Scripture. The very first principle that you have to grasp if you're going to understand giving Is the principle of first fruits. First fruits. Brother Greg, if you can go with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 13. And beginning with verse 13. Let me flip there while he's turning. Exodus 13, verse 13. It says, and every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck, and all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. This principle of first fruit can also be called the principle of the firstborn or the tithe. According to the Old Testament law, the firstborn was to either be sacrificed or redeemed. Now, the clean firstborn had to be sacrificed so the unclean firstborn could be redeemed. In this particular scripture, the Lord says, all right, if you have a donkey, that donkey is unclean. And so if you want your flock to be redeemed, you have to sacrifice a lamb. That's clean. And then he says, if you don't give me the tithe, if you don't give me the first, you're going to lose it anyway. Because if you won't redeem it with a lamb, you got to break the neck of that unclean donkey. So my, my point is this. If you don't give it, you lose it anyway. I can talk all night right there. Because I have seen people who it seemed like financial problem after financial problem. Just It was a recurrent theme in their life. But it all pointed back to one thing that they were not doing they were not redeeming the rest by giving God his first. And so basically God says, if you don't give me my portion first, then the rest that you have is going to be cursed. You're going to lose it anyway. You know what I found out? It was cheaper for me to pay tithes. Something's going to break. Hot water heater's going to go out things that you can't even think of are going to start happening because that that donkey's neck is going to be broke if you don't give God his it's the principle of first now remember the clean the first redeems the rest jesus was God's firstborn. He was the tithe. He was the clean lamb. We were the unclean. And so God had to give the lamb to redeem the rest. If the lamb would not have been given, then we would not have been redeemed. God's going uh, to follow the pattern that he set in his word. And the pattern is, if it's unclean, it has to be redeemed. And so he redeemed all of humanity by his son, Jesus Christ. God gave his tithe, watch this, in faith before we ever believed. Because Scripture says God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, you hadn't made a trip to an altar yet when God gave his tithe. That Pentecost hadn't been given yet when God gave his tithe. God gave the tithe First. See, we have to give our first fruits, our offering, our tithe in much the same way. Before we see the blessings of God, we give our tithing. Before there was a church, God gave his tithe because the tithe redeems the rest. Have you ever wondered how God could justify taking the lives of Egypt's firstborn in the final plague described in Exodus? Some people say, well, that's just so harsh. That's so mean. But listen, it's because the firstborn belonged to him already. God had a legal right to take every firstborn because every one of the firstborn belonged to him. The first belongs to God. We find this principle all throughout the Bible. We can give God the first of our time. We can give him the first of our finances because that's what tithing is. It's saying I'm going to give God his first and I'll trust him to redeem the rest. It requires faith to give first. By tithing, what we're doing, we're saying I'm recognizing God as first in my life. But beyond that, we are redeeming the rest of the 90. Hey, I'd rather have I'd rather have 90 blessed than a hundred cursed. And so when we give our ten percent. We are redeeming the rest of our paycheck because you give it to God first. What about the woman who the the prophet went to and she said, all I've got is enough meal and oil to feed me and my son. And he said, you go ahead, make me the cake. Everything's going to be all right. You know, it took faith to look at God and look at her and her son And say, okay, I'm going to give the man of God first. That's faith. Knowing that this is the last. According to her visible eye, this is the last. But when she put God first, it kept replenishing and replenishing and replenishing. Listen, God doesn't have to explain to you how he's going to make it up to you. He doesn't. I've had some of the most bizarre things happen to me, but it's because I put God first. You put God first, consecrated or cursed. That's exactly what the tithe is throughout the whole Bible. The tithe is consecrated to the Lord and for the Lord's house. But if we take it ourselves, it becomes a curse because we stole it. From God. Why did God respect Abel's offering, but clearly not Cain and his offering? Well, the Word tells us the offering Abel brought was the firstborn of his flock, it was the first. But it doesn't say that Cain brought the first fruits of his crop, it says, in the process of time. In the process of time. He got around to it. He, he gathered it up and eventually brought it, but he didn't bring it to God first. So, the question that we have to answer is, is it possible to give a full 10% and still not be tithing in accordance to God's principles? The answer is yes. Because 10% is not necessarily what the tithe is. Tithing is the first 10%. That's why he accepted Abel's and not Cain's. Is Cain may have gave ten percent, but he didn't give the first ten percent. It's the principle of first fruits. So let me use an illustration. If I have, uh, if 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 Brother Glenn hires me to come and replace some trees on his property, and I've got an agriculture business, and I and I go and. And, and, and it cost $4,000, and all of my material and my labor is $3,000, then my increase, your tithe, you pay tithe on increase, not money, on increase. Y'all look confused. Pause the analogy. Let me break it down you tithe off the increase. So if you have zero in your hand and I give you $100 and you have $100 more than what you started, you increase by $100. So you pay tithes on $100. All right? Oh, I don't want to confuse you. But if you have a garage sale, okay, and you sell a $500 Gun for $50. You didn't make $50. You lost $450. That's why I hate garage sales, is we sell $10,000 worth of stuff, and we make 100 bucks and we're so pumped up. No, we lost $9,900. Are y'all following me? You don't increase on garage sales. Now, you can choose to pay tithes if you want, but you lose money on garage sales. And time. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down here? You tithe on increase. So back to the analogy. And so I'm a business owner. And so I I, I submit a bid. My material, my labor cost me $3,000. The job was $4,000. How much did I increase? I made $1,000. Okay. That's my net profit. Well, on that $1,000, if he gives me 10 $100 bills, each one of those represents 10%. Right? All right, which one is the tithe? It's where I spend it first. They're all 10%. But if I go to Concordia Electric first and I give them my, pay my electric bill, I gave the tithe to Concordia Electric. You know what? Concordia Electric can't redeem the other $900. But if I give that to God, and I know it might be on a Thursday, but let's just say I take that and I set it aside. Totally out of the equation. Say, all right, God, this is marked for you. I know church isn't until Sunday, but I did set it aside for you. Then I am Figuratively giving that to God first. The first ten is the tithe. Now, whether you pay it electronically or you it's giving it to God first. The tithe is the first one you spent. See, God doesn't need you to give, you need to be blessed. God owns it all anyway. He's not sitting here going, I really hope they give this week. I really need them to give. God doesn't need anything. He owns it all. So it's not that God's sitting here hoping every week that you do what you're supposed to do. It's to our advantage that we give according to God's plan. If it's a business... You tithe off the net profit. Usually they do it at the end of the year because it's hard to do it week to week, month to month. If you do it personal, you tithe off the gross. That's just what you do because God existed before Uncle Sam existed. Oh, I didn't expect y'all to shout. This is good teaching. What most Christians fail to comprehend is that tithing is a test. The word translated tithe in the Bible literally means tenth or a tenth part. And do you know what the number ten represents in the Bible? It's the number of testing. How many plagues were there? Ten. How many virgins were there? Ten. The first principle is this. Something must be blessed before it can multiply. But there's a second principle. Only what is given away can multiply. Remember, kingdom principles are so different than worldly principles. The world is all about accumulate. You start coming in this world, reaching and grabbing toys, things, possessions. The cycle of life is this. You start working to build, accumulate, and then I've watched people get to the end of their life and they start giving away and selling and downsize. They say, well, I just got too much house. Well, there was a time that was the dream house. It's the, the sad thing about life is by the time you got it figured out, it's the end. Tithing isn't really giving. Listen to me. Tithing is not giving. Tithing is returning. It's returning. If I if I go up to Brother Lloyd and Brother Lloyd lends me a thousand dollars, and six months later, I get on my feet and I have a little bit of money, and I go back to Brother Lloyd and I give him that thousand dollars. I didn't give him a thousand dollars. I returned. $1,000. And I should not expect for the to shower me with praise and affection and want to go buy me something and bless me because I just returned what he just let me use. He didn't give me. I didn't give him anything. If all you do is tithe, all right, hear me. If all you do is tithe, you are not a giver. There was no sugar on that. That's the truth. You're a returner. What did Scripture say? You say, how do you rob me? In tithes and offerings. If all I do is tithe, all I'm doing is redeeming the 90. I'm not not opening the windows of heaven and, and, and expecting God to shower down blessings on me because I'm not giving. I am returning. It's tithes and offering that remove the curse. It's tithe and offering that bring the blessings. It's tithe and offering that rebuke the devourer, money that is submitted to God and his purpose has the spirit of God on it, which is why it multiplies and it cannot be consumed by the devourer. Multiplied money. The principle is this. The more you sow, the more you reap. That's a principle that God established, and it is is not a Pentecostal thing. It's a principle of God. People in the world are blessed. You know why? Because they learned how to give. That doesn't mean they're saved. You can't mistake blessings of God as salvation. God will honor his word, and the principle is the more you give, it's going to come back above and beyond. I have noticed that the people most under the influence of the spirit of mammon tend to have the most fear about their money. Mammon is nothing more than a system of this world that stands in sharp opposition to God and his ways. For example, mammon says to buy and sell, but God says to sow and reap. Mammon says, cheat and steal, but God says, give and receive. More than anything, mammon wants to rule us. Notice how the spirit of mammon tries to position itself as a substitute for God. It sounds like this. Well, you either need God to work a miracle right now, or you need more money. That's a lie. We need God, period. Period. But it tries to offer itself as a substitute. Well, either I need, I need more money or I need God to do it. No, you need God, period. Money is not a substitute for God. It's not. Pride and poverty, they're battling in our minds. Pride wants people to think that we paid more than what we really did. I was with a guy one time, grew up with him. He's a liar, ball-faced liar, compulsive liar. That's all he knows how to do is lie. He tried to tell me that his Z28 Camaro, the entire body, only weighed 28 pounds and could be lifted up off of his frame. I know nothing about cars, but my big toe weighs 28 pounds, and I knew he was lying. I was with him when he bought a fake Mavada watch in Houston for $15. And we went to a youth conference, and people were ooh and oohing on over his watch. And he tried to tell them he paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars for this watch. And I'm going, You're a liar. I was with you when you bought the watch. Pride wants people to think that you paid more than what you really did. But then there's poverty. Poverty wants people to think we paid less than what we really did. And it says like this. Somebody will compliment you. Oh, oh yeah, I got it on sale. It was only $5. The spirit of poverty. You want people to think you paid less than what you did. But gratitude doesn't care what people think. It only cares what God thinks. We, we, we're supposed to have a grateful heart. It's not about what we paid for anything. It's about who gave us everything that we own and possess. It comes from the Lord. Hear me, if you have done things, if you have been blessed by God because you've done things his way, you should not live with guilt. I didn't take a vow of poverty when I came to the altar. Did you? Why do we feel guilty when the blessings of God come upon us? The children of God that are obedient. God never said if you come to a Pentecostal church or if you're born of water and of spirit that you have to live poor. God honors His word, and we've got way too many people that are dealing with guilt over what God has blessed them with. You shouldn't feel guilty. If you're doing things God's way and God blesses you. Because here's the bottom line. God does not care if we have stuff. He cares if stuff has us. He doesn't bless you and give you things for those things to become your owner. You have to keep things in balance and in right perspective that everything we have comes from the Lord. And we are stewards of what God has entrusted us with. I haven't met many people possessed by demons. But I've met a lot of people possessed by their possessions. You want to find out what's in the heart of man? Mess with their stuff. Mess with their stuff. You'll find out where their heart is really quick. In fact, I can tell you where your heart is by looking at your bank statement. Because where your treasures are, there your heart will be also. The give and it shall be given to you principle. There's no way I'm finishing this tonight. This is part one. I just looked down. I've got 17 pages. I'm on page seven. We ain't going to be here. I didn't bring a snicker. We ain't going to be here that long. The give and it shall be given to you principle is to be our reward, not our motivation. Okay, you cannot approach the offering plate like a lottery. I'm going to give. All right, God. When's it coming? You can't do that. You don't give to get. You get to give. Give. It's a privilege to be able to give to the kingdom of God. And listen, this principle reaches beyond the offering plate. You can give to people. When you do it, the Bible says don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. It's all about motives. When I give to people, I don't want anybody to know. That's not between me and everybody in Catahoula Parish. It's between me, that person, and the Lord. And I have given to somebody and said give this to somebody else just so they couldn't trace where it came from because it wasn't about me. It was about this is just doing what I feel. I don't need recognition for anything. I know people, I've heard it not here but when I was traveling. Seven times the Lord moved upon me to take up sacrificial offerings. And I would do it, of course, with the pastor's permission, and I'd give out a little pledge slip of paper, and I'd tell them two or three weeks, however long they needed, and we we got offerings ranging from twenty thousand to two hundred thousand those seven times, and I had people come up to me, brother, right after I gave that, this broke down and this happened and. I really could have used that money. I don't have it. You didn't give it to me. You missed the whole point. You don't choose when it comes back. It's not a quick investment. It's not the stock market where you can cash in and cash out whenever you feel it. You can't approach it like that. Give and it shall be given is to be our reward, not our motivation. God does not want us to catch the vision of getting. He wants us to catch the vision of giving. That's precisely why selfishness is our enemy. Selfishness tries to manipulate and make deals with God because we're all born selfish. Selfish. Sounds a lot like this. Well, God, if you'll do this, I'll give this. Really? So when do we got to bargain with God? God doesn't have to do anything. If you've got a giving heart, you just give. Whether God does it or not, you give. And there's times I've made commitments by faith that just blew my mind. Like, where is this going to come from, God? I don't have it. And I didn't want to write a hot check. Just had to wait till God gave it. But you know what? God always gave it. Now, if God gives it to you and you go blow it on something else, that's not God's fault. God gave it. We're, we're supposed to be stewards of what God gives us. We have to deal with, when it comes to, to giving, first we've got to deal with a selfish heart. We're battling against a selfish heart. Then, we're battling against a grieving heart. Notice that the reward for being a giver is the blessings of God. He says, I'll bless you in everything you put your hand to and in all your work. But he instructs us not to grieve in our hearts after we have been obedient in giving. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Not a fearful giver hey we all if we if we've given any, any length of time we all know what it feels like to have giver's remorse <laughs> well we're not going on vacation thanks to the lord you all know I'm telling you the truth That's not the will of God for us to be grieving, lamenting over what we have given to his kingdom. But we are to be cheerful. See, selfishness can attack us before we give. It tries to talk us out of it. But grief can attack us after we give. I know I've shared it here before. I'm going to share it again. We were evangelizing, and pulling an RV, and I needed new tires for my RV, and I went and priced them, and they were some. It was going to be like sixteen hundred dollars plus tax for these tires, and that was a lot of money. I mean, they might as well have told me sixteen thousand dollars, because I didn't have I didn't have anything. And so I started saving a little bit of money at a time, $20 here, $50 there. And I kept it in a Ziploc bag in my freezer, in my RV. And that's where I saw my Pawpaw keep his money. That's where I kept my little bit of money. And I remember I had right at enough for one tire, right at $500 saved. And I mean, I was just proud of that. And this was the first time The Lord ever spoke to me to preach on the spirit of sacrifice at this church that I was preaching at. And it was between services on a Sunday, and it scared me to death. I didn't want to do it, I had never done it before. And so when I was unsure of what to preach on a Sunday, I just had a little ritual I did. I'd just go take me a nap and think maybe I'd clear my head a little bit when I'd wake up. I'd have some direction. Well, when I woke up, first thing came to my mind: got to preach on the spirit of sacrifice tonight. Too late to go back to sleep because church was coming. So I said, "All right, God. Well, here's what I'm gonna do: I'm gonna tell my wife that this is what I'm feeling, and I'll let her determine whether or not it's the Lord gave her the checkbook. And I said, if you feel it, then you this is what you because I was up I was preaching, and I was gonna have him come put it in the, the deal. And I said, you. Put the commitment down, or write the check, however it was. So I'm preaching, and I just thought that that oh the Lord told me I'm sorry I messed up. The Lord said I want you to give me your tire money when you do the commitment, and so I started talking to the Lord, saying, Lord, this isn't like I'm saving money to go on vacation or anything. This is tires for my trailer, and I need these tires. And that spirit of selfishness was coming on me. Selfishness attacks you before you give. And I was trying to find every reason why this wasn't the Lord. This was just me. So anyhow, preached that night. Well, I saw her go into the offering plate, and I knew. Bye-bye, tire money. It's gone. So I didn't know. I was back to square one. Empty Ziploc bag of the freezer. No money. God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I need money my tires. I mean, they were they were busted. I needed them. Weeks go by and two pastors invited me to go to lunch one day. So I went to lunch. And at the end of that lunch they said, Brother well, Stevenson, tell you what we want to do. We've been talking. Neither of them knew what I did. They said, we want you to take your trailer over there to that tire shop. We're going to put four brand new tires on your trailer for you, and we're going to fix that blowout that you had on your truck. And the Lord spoke to me right then and said, See, you paid for one, and I gave you five. That's how God works. You're never going to outgive God in any way. So you got to battle that selfish heart. Then after you give, you got to battle the grieving heart. But then there's a third adjustment. We've got to develop a generous heart. Deuteronomy 15 says, You shall supply him liberally from your flock. Verse 14. God did not create giving for his sake, he created it for our sake. And it's a blessing to us to give. Giving more than any other activity works selfishness and greed. Out of our lives. Now, listen to this. John Wesley lived by a simple maxim make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That's what he lived by. During his lifetime, John Wesley gave away approximately 30,000 pounds. Adjusted for inflation, that would equate to $1,764,705 in today's dollars. And the genesis of his generosity was a covenant he made with God in 1731. He decided to limit his expenses so he had more margin to give. His income ceiling was 28 pounds in that first year. John Wesley gave, only made 30 pounds, so he gave away only 2 pounds. But the next year, his income doubled. And because he still managed to live on 28 pounds, he gave away 32 pounds. In the third year, his income increased to 90 pounds, but he kept his expenses low. And so Wesley's goal was to give away all his excess income after bills were paid and family needs were taken care of. He never had more than 100 pounds in his possession because he did not want to store up earthly treasure. And he believed that God's blessing should result in us raising our standard of giving, not our standard of living. It's a lot of meat in what I just said because the natural thing to do in our flesh is the more we make, the higher we live. But what if he was on to something? I'm not saying we can't be blessed, I'm not saying we can't have nice things. I'm not saying you got to walk out of here and take a vow of poverty and give away everything you've got. Please don't misread into what I'm saying. But what if we tried to raise our standard of giving as God helped us, blessed us and we raised our standard of living? now we have a lot of people in this place and i'm so thankful for it that give what they call shekel half shekel 10% tithe 5% offering and i'm i'm so thankful that we have those givers but what i want you to think about is not letting 5% become the ceiling but rather the floor for your giving Because what happens is a lot of times you go, okay, 10-5, that's all I'm obligated to give, done. And you let the five become your ceiling. But what if God's trying to provoke you and move you into into being more generous with your giving, and that 5% is blocking you from responding to what you feel in God? Don't let the five become your ceiling. Let it become the floor from which you launch Further giving. Does that make sense? Thank you, Sister Judy. Wesley continued to raise his standard of giving even when his income rose into the thousands of pounds. He lived simply and gave away all his surplus money. And when he died, he had a few coins in his pocket. But he had a treasure in heaven, a storehouse full of treasures. When we allow God to change us in this area, the fourth aspect of our heart, what we'll develop is we'll develop a grateful heart. Stand with me right now. I still have a lot to go, but we're going to wrap this up. The issue is not the amount we give. Because if you remember, I told you God does not just bless the amount. He blesses the amount we give in proportion to what we have. Woman with the issue with two mites, she gave out of her abundance. If I have a million dollars in the bank and I give $5,000, I probably won't feel it too hard. But if I've got $10,000 in the bank and I give $5,000, I'll feel it. I'll feel it because it's not the amount. It's the amount in proportion to what we already have. Okay? But as you learn to give, you will develop that grateful heart, thankful for the blessings of God.